The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Autism One, a conversation of hope, brought to you by Enzymedica with host Terry Aranga. All comments, views, and opinions expressed are solely those of the host, guest, and callers. In the next hour, Terry and her guest illuminate how right now there is more reason than ever for individuals with autism spectrum disorders and their families to have the best hope for the brightest future. Through education and conversation, there is hope. Here's your host, Terry Aranga. Hello, and welcome to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel and this program, Autism One, a conversation of hope for Tuesday, June 23rd. I'm Terry Arango with my guest, Dr. Lauren Underwood. This is part two with Dr. Underwood. Part one was on June 9th. Lauren lectured this past May at the Autism One conference about a best practices model for treating autism. Biomedical and ABA therapies put into practice together improve optimal outcomes. So at this time... I'd like to remember a very fine person who was an innovator in this line of progressive thinking of integrating the biomedical and behavioral areas, Dr. Edward Carr. Dr. Carr and his wife, psychologist Eileen Wasserman, have passed away due to being struck by a drunk driver this past weekend. Dr. Edward Carr was the leading professor in the Department of Psychology at the State University of New York at Stony Brook and one of the co-developers of Functional Behavioral Assessment and Positive Behavior, Behavior Support, a strategy for dealing with learning and behavior issues endorsed in the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act. He received numerous awards and helped with projects, including developing the Autism Society of America's treatment-guided research initiative with Drs. Martha Herbert and Brenda Smith-Miles. There is a tribute page at the Autism Society of America website, and you can access this via their homepage at www.autism-society.org, the headline for which reads, Pioneer Psychologists Transformed Understanding and Treatment of Autism Behaviors. But most of all, Dr. Carr was a very nice person. Lauren, thank you for coming back. Thank you so much for having me again, Terry. And I would also like to take this time to speak a few words about Ted Carr, if that's okay. Absolutely. Um, it, this was just such a shock to me. Uh, part of why I had been working towards this model treatment is actually because of Ted. Um, he's become quite a, or was actually, I'd like to say, a, a very close uh, colleague of mine. He actually had heard me give a biomedical presentation at one of the Autism One conferences, I believe, and he had come up to me and after the talk said, you know, this is exactly the type of information that I'm looking for in a user-friendly manner for people in my field, you know, the behavioral field, to listen to and understand. And he goes, it was just so clearly explained to me that I really feel like this is the way that we as behaviorists need to go, but need to hear it coming from somebody like you who puts it out there 
in a way that's, like I just said, user-friendly. And he was just, he was just so kind and appreciative when he came up to me and asked me, you know, for my presentation, which, of course, I gave to him because I was very happy to have someone in his field and area of research interested in, in biomedical treatments because, you know, this is one of the things that we've discussed before, this, this kind of like um, kind of butting of heads between these two disciplines. And it was just thrilling to me that he wanted to look at this route. This route. And, you know, we, we corresponded often through email and said that, you know, he's, he's used this and incorporated this into so many of the works that he would have been involved in to date. And as you mentioned, you know, he, he with Martha have been pioneering linkages between the two disciplines. And, you know, it's, it was just such a shock when I got the message because really he was one of the impetus for me developing the biomedical behavioral model. And initially, we were working together on a publication, but he thought it would be best if both of us went forward, you know, basically him having one from his point of view and me from another point of view, so that this information is out there for, you know, pediatricians and other healthcare providers and other behavioral intervention therapists to use and reference, because this really is the line of thinking that we're going towards. So it's it's really kind of hit me home when, when I heard about this. And, and another thing that I, I always mention at the end of my talks is that, you know, our time here on this planet is short, and one never knows what's going to happen from day to day. And I always try to impress the parents that, you know, this is your only time on this earth with your child, and although as difficult and as challenging it can be, living with a person with autism you know, use every ounce of strength that you have to love and cherish every moment that you have with them because you never know what tomorrow holds and you, you never know, just like what happened to Ted, what, what could be, what might be, you know, your last day. So it was an unfortunate and untimely passing. Yes, this is an awful loss, and he was a very sweet person. Everyone speaks well of him, and um, there are so kind. So many people who are going to um, reassure you, carry forth his work and his message. So. Uh, absolutely. Um, he will be dearly missed by me, so absolutely, 100%. And as you said, extremely kind, warm. One of those people whose heart is always in and was in the right place. So yes. he was always in it for the children. Yes. Well, Lauren, we were talking before about how children do better learning, thinking, and functioning when their whole body condition is respected. That is the medical aspect. And I had asked you something last time, basically like, how do we know that the interventions we, the medical, the biomedical interventions we use work? And you basically indicated that um, in that regard, there's a dearth of published research on it. However, don't parents see that as their children's medical lab tests get better. Uh, their children are also making cognitive and academic gains. Yes, that is correct. Um, and one of the things that you actually mentioned is that we have the kids who are recovered, recovering, and another word which I like to use is healing because many of these children are ill and unwell, and as their bodies heal, as their lab tests normalize, as their biochemistries normalize, they feel better and they respond better. So that is absolutely correct. 
So a combination of both things. But the documentation and the, the stories and even the anecdotes that the children are responding better. Now, I think one way that um, our movement, that is the people who are trying to get out the, the real, accurate, truthful, helpful information, um, is marginalized is by uh, our information being called anecdotal. Um, but when you have thousands of people using the same interventions and seeing the same positive results, um, doesn't that kind of sound like what goes into a scientific study anyway? But uh, there are all sorts of, of conflicts of interests and, and funding glitches and things going on with those peer-reviewed, you know, medical peer-reviewed journals like JAMA or New England Journal of Medicine where these, these studies don't get funded or these reports don't get put out. Does that make uh, sense? Yes, yes, it does. And, you know, although sometimes there is negative uh, reflection upon anecdotal stories, there is something to be said for them. Uh, there isn't a peer-reviewed journal article that suggests that when you put hot air in a hot air balloon, it will go up. But yet we all know that if you do that, that balloon will go up. Good point. Why? Because we've all seen that happen. Yep. And so I think that same sort of premise, although, you know, we're applying this to human beings and, you know, you can take that whole argument, but still that, that same premise applies. We see so many children responding positively. Does that mean that it's not happening? Does it mean that we have to have a double-blind placebo to show that it's working? Not necessarily to let you know that we're actually seeing successful results. Obviously, what we want to do is no harm. Obviously, what you want is, you know, you never want to be doing anything that's going to be hurtful to a child. Right. You know, by the same token, we're, we're talking about, you know, and, and I only digress a, a slight bit about this because we were talking about studies, is that there's a limited amount of studies, actually, when you look at the research that talks about the safety and the number of vaccines that are administered at one particular time. So, you know, you can you can argue either side. Right. Bottom line is, is that we want to do no harm to the children. So, you know, if you observe something harmful, obviously you stop. Obviously you talk to your health care provider. But again, you know, that whole double-blind placebo study goes both ways. Yeah, it doesn't seem like some of the government agencies are particular, feeling particularly motivated to fund these studies. Um, you know, studies are expensive to do, and then it doesn't seem like, like journals like uh, uh, Pediatrics or JAMA or New England Journal of Medicine would be particularly motivated to publish studies about non-pharmacological um, interventions that are recovering children. Well, and again, this is a whole different, you know, can of worms to open up relating to who funds the studies and who backs the research behind the studies, and, you know, you can go into a huge argument as far as what studies are considered, you know, valid or considered justified by whoever is doing the funding to do the research. So it can be biased at time, but I don't want to go into that whole argument. Yeah. But uh, it is a problem because some of the basic science research that many people would like to see funded just doesn't get funded. Right. Not fine. And the reason why, you know, that could, that could be a whole hour-long show argument in itself. Right. The bottom line is those studies don't always get funded, and you're right about that. Right. I just want uh, parents to be aware that kids are healing, kids are getting better, and um, 
don't let uh, don't let people talk you talk you down. Uh, based well, on- if you think your child is unwell, and if you think that they're having health issues, and as we had mentioned on the previous show, a child with autism is just as deserving as any other child with any other disability or non-disability to receive health care for that issue, whether it's allergy, GI distress, um, or any other, you know, problem that's affecting the system of their body. Right, exactly. All right. Um, in your daughter Rachel's case, you actually did challenge, re-challenges with things like dairy and TTFD um, to see what they were doing. Yes. And how did that um, when, when you say um, challenges, do you mean I challenged my position in that I believe that things were or issues? I uh, know you took the you took something away and reintroduced it, but and we'll pick up with that when we come back from break on Voice America. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. Inside all of us lives a warrior. We win battles with our careers, our finances, our children, our pets. It's time that the warrior within wins the battles with our own being. Modern-day Renaissance man Ori Hoffmeckler dispels eating urban legends and fitness myths in Voice America Network's The Warrior Within, your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. Ori sets the record straight and will help you become leaner and healthier for a lifetime. The Warrior Within broadcasts live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Tune in for your guide to nutrition, energy, sex, and survival. If you've tried everything on the market and can't seem to get the radiant results you want from your skincare routine, it's time you stop shopping and start listening. Skin Health Today will help you take charge and start making smart choices for a lifetime of radiant skin and positive self-image. Join host Celeste Hilling and her esteemed panel of experts every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time for Skin Health Today on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Lauren Underwood, and before the break, I was asking 
you learn about um, your daughter Rachel's case, and, and Rachel's doing so much better with, with your help. Um, and I was mentioning terminology, challenge, re-challenge. And sometimes what parents do is they will, for example, um, draw back on casein and gluten, you know, milk products, wheat products, and their children will improve. And then they'll say, well, let's make sure that's really what it was. So they'll reintroduce it, and then things go all haywire again. And that, is that the kind of thing that you saw with Rachel? Absolutely. And what's uh, interesting, of course, and what I'd like to bring to note first is, you know, anytime you want to do any type of, uh, whether it's medical, non-medical, biomedical intervention, I always recommend to parents to do it under the care of a healthcare provider. And what I like to have parents do is discuss with them things like rotating diets or rotating treatments in order to see if they can really determine what seems to be working for their child. So as you mentioned, as in the case with like milk or wheat, many times parents are like, I don't think milk is a problem for my child or I don't think wheat is a problem for their child. So they actually go ahead and implement a gluten-free, casein-free diet. And then what we like to suggest is reintroduce it and let's see what happens. Let's see if any of those, you know, because sometimes it's insidious. It's slowly over time. They kind of become more alert or more responsive. And then what happens is if you reintroduce the problem agent, whatever that may be, whether it's yeast in their foods, whether it's red dyes, whether it's gluten casein, you will immediately notice some kind of response, a negative response, obviously. And then you'd be able to determine, oh, my goodness, yes, indeed, taking this out did make a huge difference. Another thing is that sometimes when you do food and allergy testing, they are not, uh, there's no 100% um, reliable test that could determine who will be a, quote, unquote, gluten-free, casein-free diet responder. Now, you can do typical IgE testing, which is a, a real immune system response testing. And then you can do something called IgG testing, which is a, a delayed immune system response. And you can get lab results back, and sometimes they show that there are issues, and sometimes they show that there, there aren't issues. And in the case when they don't come back with their issues, the only alternative to try to assess if maybe some food or preservative or a, other item that they're exposed to is a problem is to remove it and reintroduce. And, you know, this is for, one, proof to yourself, and, two, sometimes there's difficulty associated with family family members agreeing with doing these types of, you know, different modified diets. So by doing this, you know, you're able to kind of validate to these other people, whether it's family members or other um, school providers or aides, that look what happens when we introduce, you know, these foods or um, additives or preservatives or whatever it is that you're eliminating wheat or yeast from the diet, look what happens when we reintroduce. And, again, you've kind of, like, validated why you're doing what you're doing or determining that maybe these things aren't necessarily a problem for this particular child. And you bring up an, you allude to an important point, and that is if your family members aren't on board, say that your child goes with that for the weekend, um, and dad's not following the diet or someone lets them have, the child have, uh, quote-unquote, illegal food, a food that's uh, <laughs> illegal to a diet. These diets are all or nothing. Uh, and then you might say, that diet didn't work. But it can't be just a little bit of pizza. 
you know, it has to be all or nothing, gluten-free, casein-free, uh, or SCD, what have yeah. you. And unfortunately, that it is a problem. I mean, one, one of the other unfortunate situations that surrounds families with autism is that there's a tremendously, tremendously high divorce rate, I want to say over 90%. And with that, many times one of the spouses will not agree or does not agree to any kind of modified diet and will undermine everything that is trying to be accomplished by, say, the other parent. And it's unfortunate, but this is the situation, and unless you can... You know, do something like this as proof of concept showing that, you know, when you remove these foods or, you know, yeast or additives that the child does indeed get better. But um, it is an all or nothing kind of thing. And if there are infractions, it basically will and can affect, you know, your ultimate outcomes. So. But for, for families who have been able to successfully implement um, therapeutic diets, um, you know, there's kids recovering and, uh, greatly improving, so we really encourage you again, you know, under a doctor's supervision, to uh, try to implement one of these therapeutic diets for your. And, and again, I, I also like to mention it's a healing thing because you know if these children are suffering from a food that's irritating their GI tract, you know, as you remove this food item, the GI tract is able to heal, and as it heals, you know, you're able to digest your food properly, and you're you have all the nutrients that will be able to absorb through the digestive tract, get into the bloodstream, and get to the organs and target areas that they need to get to for proper cell function in whatever system of the body that they need to get to. So by healing the gut, you're healing the body, and you're going to get better responses to everything. So the, the two reasons, um, am I correct, that autistic kids can't eat meat or uh, wheat, milk or wheat products, uh, that they have problems with casein and gluten are that the dietary peptides are improperly broken down and that they have immune dysregulation. That is absolutely correct. Yeah, there's two schools of thought. Um, one is related to proper digestion, and that is, you know, they eat these foods, and when the proteins from these foods are broken down, they're improperly broken down, and so you're left with a compound that resembles or has a chemical signature that's similar to opioid-like compounds and can affect normal brain function if they get into the bloodstream. Um, Some kids suffer from increased intestinal permeability, and these things can permeate out of the GI tract and, you know, cause havoc on different systems of the body. Uh, that's one school of thought. And then the other school of thought is, as you said, immune system dysregulation. And we, when we talk about that, uh, the immune system is supposed to do no harm. And what happens is the immune system loses its ability to recognize what is foreign and what is not and recognizes foods as being foreign and produces antibodies against these food and it causes problems throughout the body system. Right. Yeah, I wonder what life feels like for a child who's not only having this opioid-like effect from the foods that he's being fed, but is also being given psychotropic drugs at the same time. And you know, that's a very good question, and, you know, nobody's really sure what the effect is. And then that is another good reason 
why when you introduce anything, whether it's diet or, you know, prescriptive meds from your physician to document everything on a daily basis so you can see what kind of effects these things are having. Because some cases, you know, there can be negative effects between the interactions of these things. Um, but the other thing that we know that happens is that, you know, if you're having an improper immune system response, you're going to get inflammation and you're going to get swelling and you're going to get irritation. And these symptoms in themselves are also going to affect proper cell function wherever these situations are happening in the body, whether it's, you know, swelling around the eyes, runny noses, you know, irritation in the GI tract from swelling and inflammation because, remember, a large percentage of the immune system is located throughout the GI tract. What are what seems um, what seems ridiculous to me is that if the, if foods are causing behaviors, if foods are causing effects in the brain, um, opioid-like effects, and they're causing behaviors, and then instead of taking away the foods, you just dump some drugs on it, some psychotropic drugs on it. I mean, why not just take away the foods that are causing the the effects and the behaviors in the first place rather than piling on some more stuff that causes effects. And, again, this goes back to, you know, slapping a Band-Aid on, you know, a wound. You know, if you don't treat the wound, if you don't figure out why you have the wound in the first place, it's never going to get better no matter how many Band-Aids you put on top. You're still going to have that wound underneath unless you've treated it. Yeah, eventually Um, you just suffocate the, the whole appendage, you know. Yeah, and, um, you know, we're, we're working towards, there is literature that's now suggesting that, you know, when you remove some foods, it can make a difference in what happens. Um, the papers that were published by uh, Dr. Yanucci suggest that there is a relationship between modifications in diet and behavior. So we're, we're, we're heading down that road now, which is, which is very exciting for us who have been involved in the biomedical aspect autism for the, you know, the past five to ten years. So, but again, like with any other person, whether they're suffering from autism or not, if they're ill or unwell, you know, they deserve to have that treatment addressed. All right. We'll be right back. Thank you to our sponsor, Enzymedica. We'll be right back with Dr. Lauren Underwood on the Voice America Health and Wellness Opinions, options, answers. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. 
Tune in on Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart, the program that takes you on a journey through grief after the death of a child. Join Dr. Gloria Horsley, marriage and family therapist and bereaved parent, while she interviews and discusses with other bereaved parents and siblings how they have coped with the death of a child and gone on to create and realize new dreams. So tune in Thursdays at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time for Healing the Grieving Heart with Dr. Gloria Horsley, right here on Voice America Health & Wellness. Holistic living is nutrition for not just your body, but your mind and your soul. Holistic nutrition goes far beyond the foods that we eat or the supplements that we take. Discover natural means to heal your body and regain your innate healing powers. That's Holistic Living with Tina Marie Jones on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel, live every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern. Tune in for your weekly dose of good holistic living. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Lauren Underwood, and you were talking about the immune system. Uh, to a certain extent. Now let's really get into the immune system. How does a normal immune system function? What does that depend upon? And what happens in autism? And how does the gut translate to the brain anyway? And again, this in itself could also be its own hour-long show. And uh, just as a a point of interest, many of the autism groups actually request to have uh, a very well-renowned immunologist, Dr. Jane Eldar, give an entire talk just on the immune system because of the impact that it has on all the systems of the body. And, you know, I kind of give the little, you know, uh, understanding the immune system for dummies version, you know, in layman's terms and kind of, you know, just the, the basics, whereas, you know, there really is so much going on that it, there really is an entire hour, sometimes hour and a half long talk devoted just to the immune system and what can go wrong. But in a nutshell, um, you know, most importantly, and as I've mentioned before, the immune system should do no harm. It's supposed to protect. It's supposed to learn. And it's supposed to get better over time. And what happens many cases with children uh, that suffer from autism, they have something called immune system dysregulation. And when this happens, the immune system does not function properly and ends up causing harm in some situations. Uh, One of the kind of like parts of the immune system that I like to focus upon to just kind of narrow in on an area to give people a small little snippet of what to think about is uh, not innate immunity, the immunity that you're born with, but acquired immunity. And in order for your acquired immunity to function properly, you have to have a proper immune system response. And there's a fine balance in when your body knows whether to go out and, you know, there's an invading pathogen in your body and go out and attack it, or, you know, you have, like, food molecules in your body and it doesn't recognize it as foreign, 
and, you know, it lets your body do what it's supposed to do to it. There's a balance between immune system response and not responding. And when we talk about something like immune system dysregulation, it's not regulating, it's not responding properly, and you end up with improper immune system response. And this is when you hear uh, immunologists talk about a shift or skewing of the immune system. And when they're talking about that, they're talking about, again, the immune system response. And what I'm talking about is like um, the lymphocyte cells of the immune system and whether or not you're supposed to have what they call a pH1 response and a pH2 response. And there is a balance. Again, your immune system regulates when you're supposed to have a pH1 response where the cells go out and attack what it's supposed to get rid of or a pH2 response. What's pH? When you're supposed to produce antibodies. What what does pH stand for? Um, Are we talking about things to do with like T cells and the thymus and things like that? Cells, they talk about T because that's where the cells are produced in the body, so they call them um, T... I, th- I think it's helper one cell or T helper two cell. Ah. Helps determine what type of cell you're going to produce. Uh-huh. And the T part is related to what organ of the immune system that it's produced in. Uh-huh. And, um, and so the T is the thymus and the B is the bone marrow and that's where those cells are being produced. Uh-huh. You hear that? talking about. And so your your immune system is supposed to do no harm and it's supposed to know when it's supposed to create what type of cells. And how does it do that? Well, these cells communicate with each other. And how do they communicate with each other? You know, they signal each other on, you know, hey, you, you're supposed to do this and hey, you, you're supposed to do that with um, chemical messengers called cytokines. And so it's the messages that are being transferred from cell to cell get messed up, this messaging system can also affect what goes on in your brain, can affect what's happening there, and can affect behavior. So it's like all these little intricate things that are involved in your body, and if one little thing goes wrong, it sets off a cascade of effects that can affect all the systems in your body and, again, what we're talking about related to behavior. All right. Well, I think that Boyd Haley likened the action of mercury in the human body to a biological train wreck. Uh, He does. And that's a great analogy. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to cut you off. Go ahead. That's okay. Um, but what happens is, and, again, it's this cascading effect. You know, um, but the most dramatic thing me, uh, you know, related to Boyd's work, if you go to his website, uh, he has this little snippet of a video clip, and it shows a um, nerve cell culture in a Petri dish, and it shows what happens to this cultured nerve cell when um, dimerosol is introduced, uh, mercury. And the nerve endings of this cell just begin to shrivel up themselves. I mean, it's incredible. It looks like, um, almost like in a cartoon when you see like a, a tree 
growing, well, like the opposite of that, all the limbs and branches just kind of like come rooting in on itself. And so if one nerve cell is doing this and you need these cells, again, like the cells of the immune system need to talk to each other, the cells of the nervous system need to talk to each other, well, if their ends where they actually communicate with each other are all shriveled up, how is one cell going to be able to talk to the other cell tell it what to do? If that nerve cell ending is damaged, it's not going to be able to communicate with the one next to it, say, to tell it to, you know, do something in particular with your arm or your eyes or your head because they're not communicating properly. It's very dramatic. And I was like, oh, my goodness, is that what it can do to a nerve cell? Could you imagine what if it's doing that on so many cells in the human body? What is it, what's going to happen if those cells are damaged? You know, is that going to affect behavior and function? Absolutely, yes. Yeah, we know that so many systems in the kids' bodies are affected. Um, their gastrointestinal systems, endocrine system, central nervous system. Um, what you've seen a lot of kids. What do you think a likely tip-to-toe explanation of the train wreck would be? How did it get that way, and how do you get it back on the rails and repair the gaps in the structure? Healing and detoxification. Um, healing, as we had mentioned, you know, of anything that seems to be affecting the children, you know, and again, I tell parents to document anything they do regarding diet, supplements, changes, and getting the chemicals, whatever it is, heavy metals or chemicals that seem to be causing problems with these body systems, body systems out. Uh, and detoxification, whether it's through increasing the body's own natural ability to detoxify by increasing the body's ability to produce glutathione, by supplementing with cofactors that help drive these detoxification pathways like um, methyl B12, like B6, like EMG, like TMG, to help bypass inadequacies in these biochemical pathways uh, to supplement maybe topically um, with uh, glutathione, which is your body's own natural way of getting rid of toxins, and then, you know, once the kids are getting healthier, look at more sophisticated ways of detoxification through perhaps chelation therapy, sauna therapy, um, infrared therapy, uh, hyperbaric oxygen therapy, you know, all of these ways to increase removing toxins from the body and making the body healthier. How is detoxification related to sulfation? Um Sulfation is one of the pathways that are involved in detoxification. Um, the sulfation pathway is what's responsible for producing glutathione. And if that pathway is not functioning optimally, you're not going to produce enough glutathione, and your body's ability to detoxify is going to be limited. Uh, the detoxification pathway involves uh, the amino acid methionine that you get through your diet. It's a universal methyl donor. Through that pathway, you end up having it, um, that compound becoming um, homocysteine, which then, with the inclusion of B6, becomes glutathione. If this chemical pathway is not functioning properly, if your body is not getting enough uh, B6 through diet to drive these chemical reactions, 
your body's not going to produce enough glutathione. And you need to have enough glutathione in every single cell of your body to help get toxins and chemicals out of your body naturally. Um, it's one of the most important biochemical pathways for detoxification in the human body. Mm-hmm. Uh, the transulfuration of methionine to glutathione. And, you know, if you don't have the cofactors through proper diet and nutrition to drive this chemical reaction, um, it's going to hinder your ability to produce it naturally. Your body's going to be able to do it because if you were not able to, if you weren't detoxifying properly, it, you know, we would not be alive. It's just not possibly functioning as well as the next person. And this goes back to genetic susceptibility. And the theory is that many individuals who suffer with autism uh, suffer from a genetic susceptibility that makes them less capable than others to detoxify. And given too many or an exposure to too many toxins in the environment, their detoxification pathways become overloaded and they end up with toxic buildup. Their bodies can't remove it quickly enough. And because of that, these toxins are stored. And because of that, they cause problems in the body. And that's where you end up seeing different problems with different systems of the body. And can you tell us about how oxidative stress ties in with this? Um, when you get the buildup of toxins, it causes what you just mentioned, oxidative stress on the cells. And what happens is you do not want to have that. That's why um, people talk about giving antioxidants. We'll need to continue with this when we come right back. Learn more. Live better. Voice America Health and Wellness. More and more parents of children affected by autism are discovering enzyme therapy as an important part of their treatment program. Digestive enzymes help to break down the foods which may enhance nutrient absorption. Used therapeutically, enzymes can also support the immune system to break down pathogens such as viruses, fungal forms, and bacteria. Enzyme Medica formulates the highest quality of enzyme supplements to address a wide variety of issues. Lacto, a broad-spectrum digestive enzyme focusing on the complete digestion of milk proteins. Gluten Ease, high in DPP-4 activity, known for its ability to help break down gluten. And Virus Stop, an enzyme formulated to assist in the body eliminating pathogens. Enzyme Medica provides the purest enzyme products, free of fillers, anything artificial, and of all common allergens. We are dedicated to education and helping you find the best products for your children. Learn more today at www.enzymemedica.com. If you have a loved one that is undergoing treatment for substance abuse or mental illness, you owe it to them and yourself to tune in to One Hour at a Time with host Mary Woods. This compassionate and educational talk show will help you help those that you love by better understanding their condition and their personal recovery process. Tune in every Monday at 12 noon Pacific time to One Hour at a Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Recovery begins this hour. Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like. Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things around her. Like what? You know, desks, chairs, people. Grunt if you have to. Grunt? Yeah, be like, oh! Uh. Oh! 
There you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1-888-200-4005. A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga. If you have a question or comment, call us toll-free at 866-472-5792. Now back to the program. Here's Terry. We're back with Dr. Lauren Underwood, and you were talking about oxidative stress and some studies you were going to mention. Um, well, as related to body health and the problems that you end up having, um, when you suffer from oxidative stress in a particular cell, um, it can cause cell damage and, in some cases, cell death. Uh, this cell damage can affect, or cell death in that case, can affect normal cell function. And cells, as you know, make up organs of your body. And if you end up with cell damage, you can end up with organ damage. And if you end up with organ damage, you end up with symptoms happening. And when you have these symptoms that display themselves, you bring whoever it is to your healthcare provider and say, I have XX and X symptoms and I need a treatment for it. And for whatever the symptom is, you may get an, anti, you know, an antibiotic, you might get an antifungal. Well, guess what? Those, you know, sometimes are not actually addressing the real problem. These become exacerbated by other things in the environment, like we were talking about before, that, uh, you know, cause toxic overload in the body, your body's already stressed because of whatever it is that you're in the environment that you've been exposed to, and you just get this exacerbation, um, this vicious cycle of toxic overload that ends up being compiled by additional oxidative stress, um, which is just not good for any cells of the body. And so, you know, what we recommend, obviously, is to figure out what's causing the problems in the first place and to treat with antioxidants vitamin C, vitamin E, to combat oxidative stress because you don't want these, these oxidants in the cell causing problems wreaking havoc. You want yourself healthy and functioning normally. Well, Lauren, where does the, the liver fit in this? You mentioned the organs of the body, and, and um, is that one of the organs that's effective, affected, and does that start a vicious cycle? Yes. Um, you know, the main organ for detoxification of your body is the liver. Now, every cell in itself, like I said, every cell in your body produces creative ion, whether it's, you know, in your fingertip, in your toe, in your brain, every single cell produces glutathione. ion. But your main body's vehicle for eliminating toxins and waste are the liver. And it's a two-step process. The first step is you make things less toxic. And then the second step is you make things water-soluble so that they can be excreted from the body. And these steps require things like vitamin C, glutathione, and B vitamins in order for your liver to function properly. Now we're going to go back to diet. Now if you are not having a healthy enough diet or if you're not digesting your foods properly, you're not going to get the nutrition and the nutrients that your body needs in order for all the cells, including those that make up your liver, to function properly. And if you're not getting those things, all the steps that are required for detoxification that take place in the liver aren't going to happen as 
efficiently or efficiently or become overloaded because you do not have these cofactors that are required to drive these chemical reactions. Wow. How could anybody work in school under these conditions? Well, you know, our bodies are an amazing machine. And under normal circumstances, it's designed to handle all these things. But, again, you know, if there is a genetic susceptibility and if there is something that you're exposed to in the environment uh, that sets off this genetic susceptibility, can end up with health problems and issues, and they can be related to detoxification. Actually, I think, you know, historically, and I can't remember the quote. I'll have to look it up for next time. But um, one of the, I think, main uh, expressions of, you know, illness is associated with um, a genetic susceptibility and an environmental exposure. I'll have to get the quote if he said that. But, um, and, you know, today in this day and age, when we're exposed to so many more toxins in the environment, I think we're seeing a lot more of these genetic susceptibilities coming to the surface. Yeah, it's not like one morning 10,000 genes just woke up and said that we think we want to express ourselves, you know. Um, given no, enough- it doesn't happen that way. It's not like you all of a sudden end up with a population of people who are nearsighted. Right. I mean, you know, that's something that's handed down from one person to another person from one generation to another generation. When we're talking about a genetic susceptibility, this is something that has been part of the gene pool for years and years and years. Right. It has never been affected because it's never been exposed to something in the environment that would cause anything to be manifested. Right. Given enough poison, anybody's going to be affected, um, at least to some degree, but these were the kids, you know, the kids in the autism epidemic, were the kids who just couldn't, um, who couldn't handle poison, and I emphasize poison, as well as the next person, as well as the next person. That doesn't mean that if you don't throw enough poison at anybody, they're not going to be affected. Well, and again, you know, I, I'd like to use the term poison loosely. Actually, anything, anything in excess can be a poison. Everything's supposed to be taken in minor poison. Now, I understand that you're actually talking about a chemical poison, but in reality... Anything in excess can be, you know, unhealthy for anybody. But uh, you are absolutely correct, yes. These children were just not as equipped as the next person to be able to handle this constant bombardment of toxins and become overloaded and end up with health issues. Well, changing subjects, um, Lauren, if I may, in our time remaining, um, we have an action alert from the National Autism Association. Nineteen states have zero regulations protecting our disabled children in schools. And um, you can see uh, more about this uh, and uh, click on sample letters to send to your legislators at nationalautismassociation.org forward slash abuse dot php pound sign. Again, that's www nationalautismassociation.org forward slash abuse dot P as in Peter, HP as in Peter, pound sign. Um, There is a lot of abuse and um, inappropriate, um, dangerous restraint 
going on in the country, handcuffing, children tied, children secluded, children who've been asphyxiated, suffocated, and um, many cases leading to, to death. Um, so we urge you, please, to take action on this. Um, federal lawmakers say they have not heard from us on harmful re restraint and seclusion. And according to a May 2009 government report on re restraint and seclusion practices, an overwhelming amount of abuse, neglect, and emotional abuse are happening in schools throughout the country. The report found no federal laws in place that regulate restraint and seclusion. The report revealed that states, state regulations are widely divergent. Nineteen states have nothing that regulates restraint and seclusion in schools. Um, the report, on, there are many more cases than this, but the report itself from the General Accounting Office revealed 10 case studies where children with varying disabilities died as a result of restraint and seclusion, were seriously harmed or emotionally traumatized. And because there are no laws, many of the people responsible for this abuse still work within the school system. So please visit nationalautismassociation.org. You can click the Take Action tab or uh, nationalautismassociation.org forward slash abuse.php pound sign. Lauren, thank you so much for being with us again today. Do you have a take-home message you'd like to share with parents? Um, well, I just would like to mention one thing just along the lines of what you were just talking about is that please, parents, remember that you are the advocate for your child and, you know, make a point of knowing what your rights are. Make a point of knowing what is on your child's IEP when you do send them to school and what you are entitled to. And, you know, make spot visits, drop by randomly. You're entitled to know what is going on with your child at any given time. And, you know, I, I, I think sometimes parents don't realize how much responsibility outside of the house it is as well as inside of the house for the protection of their child. So, but my take-home message is, is as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, now more than ever, it's an exciting time to look at the treatment of children with autism because many children are recovering, many children are in recovery, and most importantly, these children are healing. They are getting better, feeling better, and responding better to all therapies that are being implemented to make their quality and the quality of life of people who live with an individual with autism better. And the more we heal them, the, the better equipped they are um, in school. The, the more we heal them and they are um, a, in comfort and be, being able to function uh, better and be they, the better able, they can keep themselves safe and independent and not be afraid to this kind of abuse. Absolutely, yes. Speak for themselves on top of that. Yeah. Well, Lauren, thank you so much again for, for joining us again this week. And uh, we hope to talk to you again in the future on these topics. Thank you to our listeners. Thank you, and Medica, for sponsoring the show. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Thank you, Terry. Medica would like to thank you for listening to Autism One, a conversation of hope. To contact Terry or get more information, visit autismone.org. Tune in next Tuesday for another hour of education and conversation on Autism One, a conversation of hope with Terry Aranga.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program. Brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 